single person in this room likes to be happy, right? We like to feel good. We like to enjoy the feelings of joy and of happiness. Do you know what chemical fires in your brain when you feel happy? Okay, a couple of right answers. Yes, the answer we were looking for is dopamine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Should have paid more attention in science class. When you experience feelings of joy or excitement or of happiness, dopamine fires in your brain. Our brain does this naturally. We like to feel good. We like to be happy. We like to experience joy. But sometimes there's this cycle that begins. It's a cycle of things that may push us into this addictive cycle. It starts with instant gratification from something that makes us happy, which usually leads to a high that wears off. And then there's this spot of guilt and withdraw. And the need or the want for that instant gratification once more, and the cycle keeps going and going and going. These are the kinds of things that we talk about with people who suffer from addiction. There are common types of addictions in the United States that I know some people in this room struggle with. The top two in the United States are, of course, drugs, both those legal and illegal, and alcohol. But in my research for my sermon this week, I found that there are some scientists out there who affirm Addictions other than the ones we might come up with quickly, like drugs or alcohol. There's addictions like fast food. Or they also have decided that you can be addicted to love. Plastic surgery, shopping, internet gaming, exercise, and my favorite, compulsive lying can be an addiction. I think somewhere in each of us, there's something that puts us in this cycle. And this cycle pulls us away from our relationship with God one way or another. And so our new sermon series that we're starting today is called Recover. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the 12 steps of recovery made famous by Alcoholics Anonymous. We know that these 12 steps have helped millions of people all over the world find recovery since 1935 when it began. The 12 steps are not exclusively Christian steps. They weren't made up by Christians, but we know that they're used by Christians. We know that these 12 steps of recovery can be used by God. And we're going to be talking about each of the 12 steps and how they can impact our relationship with God. Now, if you didn't know, recovery ministry is at the very heart of Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. Alcoholics Anonymous began its style of um, co uh, confidential group meetings in the United States in the 1930s. Before this time, we as a human race had no idea how to treat the disease that is addiction. A simple Google search will bring up some of the most inhumane things that have ever been done to humans I have ever seen. And that's how we treated alcoholics in our world. But in the 1930s, Alcoholics Anonymous was founded by a guy named Dr. Bob Smith and Bill Wilson. 
And they dreamed up these, they called them tools for living at the time that we now call the 12 steps of recovery. And as per usual, Lover's Lane United Methodist Church was not too far behind the trend. Remember, Lover's Lane started as a church in 1944, 75 years ago. Woohoo! And immediately became a place of sanctuary for those who were suffering from the disease of addiction, specifically alcoholism. And this church, as it has been in the last 75 years, was not always popular for welcoming the people that we welcomed. There were families that left the church because they just couldn't comprehend what it might be like for them to sit in the pew next to an alcoholic. But Tom Ship, our founding pastor, decided that this church was going to be a place where all were welcome. And all meant all. In fact, if you go out these doors and to the right, you're going to see like a weird little hallway leading to our really cool shepherd's garden. But on the wall, you've probably passed it a hundred times and never seen it, there's a quote from Tom Ship. This quote was said just two years after the church began. And here's what he said. Let's make this church an institution that stands, as we say, four square. For what is right, what is just, what is fair, what is of good rapport. An institution where there are no shams, no make-believe, no halfway measures, where thoroughness and straightforwardness are taught and practiced. May those within this church have high integrity, be faithful to ideals, dependable, true friends of others, and loyal to Jesus. So in honor of this heritage of recovery ministry here at Lover's Lane, we're going to spend the next seven weeks walking through the 12 steps of recovery and looking at how these might impact our relationship with God, whether we suffer from the disease of addiction or not. So today is step one and step two. So step one says, We admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors. That our lives had become unmanageable. What I've done for you all is I have taken the two steps for today and taken their really big, beautiful, wonderful sentences. And honestly, I've boiled them down to a smaller sentence that my brain can comprehend and my fast talking can get out. So your small, short sentence for step one, repeat after me. I am really small. I am really small. There are lots of examples that we find in our scripture of people who admit that they are powerless over their addictions and their compulsive behaviors, that their lives have become unmanageable. There's lots of people in the Bible who have to learn that they are really small. What about the Israelite people of the Old Testament? That we learn this lesson over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Most of your Old Testament is full of prophetic works, of people who tell them this is how you are behaving. Your idolatry is out of hand. And if you don't stop, destruction is coming. These prophets beg the Israelite people to stop and to turn back to God. They beg the Israelite people to utter one simple sentence, I am very small. 
Or what about King Nebuchadnezzar? In Daniel 4, there's this guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. That's a fun one to spell. (laughs) Sorry. We can call him Neb for short. Good times. So in Daniel 4, King Neb is the ruler of the land. And he decides that all of the people are going to bow down and worship him. And they're going to bow down and worship statues of him. And I'm sure if he had an Instagram that we would have to bow down and worship pictures of him. But then there are these three guys. And the spelling of them is really hard too. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three Israelite men who decide that they are going to stick to the laws that God has given them, not to have any idols, not to worship any other gods. And so they don't bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. They don't bow down to the statue of him either. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, in his um, uh, rationality, decides to throw them in a fiery furnace. Um, They turn up the fire on the fiery furnace so hot that the guards who throw them in end up burning up themselves. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego survive. In fact, when people look into the fiery furnace, they see four people. And we've come to believe that the Spirit of God was with the three of them as well. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego climb out of the fiery furnace in which they did not die in, decides that he is really small. He decides that the land is now going to worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar admits that he is powerless over his addiction to himself, that his life and his kingdom have become unmanageable. He admits that he is really small. Or what about the Apostle Paul, all the way over in your New Testament? Paul wrote about his feelings of powerlessness and his admission of his compulsive behavior. He wrote about this desire to do good, but his actions that perhaps weren't so good. In the book of Romans, um, chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, Paul says this. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I don't do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Paul has to admit that he is really small. Step two says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now, remember, the 12-step program is not exclusively a Christian program. Even to this day, people who are within the program are encouraged in this step to pick a religion that they are comfortable with. I watched a TED Talk this week of a woman who talked about this step two. She said it was the most liberating step. Of all of them. The sentence that I have given for this step, repeat after me God is really big. 
This step is all about admitting that we are not the supreme leader of our own lives. Have you ever stopped to think for just a second how big God really is? In the Old Testament, there's this guy named Job who comes to this conclusion. Remember Job? He's got an entire book of the Bible dedicated to him. Job goes through massive amounts of trials. His worldly possessions are gone. His family is killed. His plants are gone. His animals are gone. His friends betray him and they ask him, dude, why do you even want to keep on living? But in the book of Job, chapter 26, verse 14, with all of Job's suffering, he says this. These are indeed but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Job, even in his suffering, even in all of these horrible things that happened to him, recognizes that God is really big. What about Mary? Mary, the mother of Jesus, back in your New Testament. When Mary is visited by an angel and told that she is pregnant, despite the fact that she is a virgin, what does she do next? She starts singing. She launches into this beautiful song of praise that we call the Magnificat. It's found in Luke chapter 1. Mary says things like, God has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Holy is God's name. God's mercy is shown to everyone from one generation to the next. Upon finding out that she's pregnant, Mary recognizes one simple thing. God is really big. What about my earlier example of Paul? The same guy who admitted that he was really small in his letter to the Romans, writes more letters that make up our New Testament, where he talks about the beauty and the grace and the mercy of God. Like this example from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul admits that God is really big. We have these labels on things in our world, like books and movies and music. We've decided that for some reason there are things that are secular and things that are sacred. And for some reason as a society, we've decided that these two are all or nothing. That something is either secular or it's sacred. We've decided that the holiest of things like our worship music or our scriptures belongs over here in the sacred box. And it doesn't touch the secular box. But this morning, I want to challenge us on that notion a little bit. One of the major points of my personal theology is that the secular and the sacred are not two boxes that never touch, but instead... They're all mashed together. It's all one thing. 
There is no such thing as the secular or the sacred, for all belongs to God. What I mean by this is that God can take the things that our society has deemed secular and work through it and speak through it. Just like the 12 steps of recovery that aren't necessarily Christian or written by Christians or for Christian purposes, but instead we can still see our relationship with God in these things. So one of my favorite things to do this with is music. There are some really great worship music written out there, like hymns, special choir pieces, and even the wonderful songs that were led by and here by our modern worship band. And these are songs written by Christians, for Christians, for the Christian purpose of recognizing God and God's work in our life. But I see God in the music that we often deem secular. One of my favorites of these is a song by Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons called Who Loves You. Who Loves You is one of the first songs that Frankie Valli did on his own when he decided to go solo and break from the group. It was the first song that ushered the group out of their 60s doo-wop style and into the funk and the disco of the 70s. It was one of the last songs of Frankie's to make the top 100 charts. And one day, a few years ago, I was driving in my car down the road, and I was listening to and singing along with Frankie, and I stopped, not the car, I stopped singing, and my jaw hit the floor, and I gasped, and I said out loud, that's God. Now, Who Loves You is a song that is written about a romantic relationship between two people, but I see God in it. I believe this song communicates the ways in which God loves us. So hear now the words of Frankie Valli. And perhaps don't picture a romantic significant other, but instead, picture God saying this to you. When tears are in your eyes and you can't find the way, it's hard to make believe you're happy when you're gray. When you're feeling like you're never going to see the morning light come, come to me and you'll see who loves you. And when you think the whole wide world has passed you by, you keep on trying and you really don't know why. When you need a smile to help the shadows drift away, come to me and you'll see who loves you. The song Who Loves You by Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons reminds me of God. Reminds me that there is a God who loves me. It reminds me of step one and step two of the 12 steps. The song Who Loves You by Frankie Valli reminds me that I am really small. But God is really big. So this week, what if you remembered who loves you? You are a child of God and a child God who says to you through the voice of Frankie Valley, 
When you need a smile to help the shadows drift away, come to me and you'll see who loves you. Let's pray. God, who loves us? We thank you for the ways in which you reveal yourself to us through your word, through music, through the 12 steps of recovery, through Frankie Valley. God, we ask that as we continue to self-examine ourselves and to look at where we are in relationship with you, that we would remember a few simple truths. God, remind us that we are really small. But God, continue to show us that you are really big. Speak to us through all things. Speak to us through music. Speak to us through movies. Speak to us through books. God, that your love, your message, your gospel would infiltrate all things. We love you. It's in your name we ask all these things.